most people feel fear about writing. So that's uh, there's nothing unusual about that fear. Mm-hmm. Um, overcoming that fear, I, I'm not sure it is something that people overcome. It's just something that people work through. Welcome to You Are a Storyteller. On this week's episode, we have the first of a special two-part Q&A series on writing and directing. Our very own Ian Ebright joins host Brian McDonald to answer questions from you, the audience. All right, Brian. So I, I'm not uh, I'm not Jesse Bryan, clearly. You are not. <laughs> so we're already off on a, on a different foot. Um, I'll say to you, my name's Ian Ebright, which you know. You're going to know all this stuff. I do know all this. <laughs> uh, and I'm a publishing manager here at Belief, but also... Uh, We'll call it in an extracurricular sense, writer and director. Mm-hmm. Uh, written and directed a couple of shorts from the sky. Uh, the Devil Needs a Fix. Uh, both played various festivals, some Oscar qualifiers. Uh, both of those were featured on Cinephilia and Beyond. And The Devil Needs a Fix is the current short of the month on Cinephilia and Beyond. But we thought it would be cool. Um, you and Jesse have done a really great job of building this foundation for people of storytelling. And we thought it might be cool to come in with me as an aspiring writer-director, you with a very multifaceted talent across uh, a lot of different mediums that we'll talk about in terms of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now as you guys have built this foundation to kind of like take a pause and do a special episode and see where maybe some of the gaps are for the audience. So we want to do like a storytelling and film Q&A. Okay. Um, and we essentially compiled a bunch of answers from people across like our social or media. questions from them, right? Not answers. Oh, good point. I yeah. think you'll provide. I hope I, hope I do provide <laughs> answers, but yes. We've compiled questions <laughs> yeah. uh, from the, our audience across social media channels, and I'll bring in a few of my own. But I thought it would be cool if we kind of split the questions into three different groups. Okay. We'll do questions about writing. Mm-hmm. We'll do questions about directing or sort of visual collaboration. And then I thought it would be fun if we end on like personal questions. Okay. And again, mix of questions from our followers across social media, a few from me. And uh, we'll see how it goes. Okay, perfect. Uh, one of my favorite directors uh, is a newer guy. His name is J.C. Chandor, uh, Chandor, and he did a film called Margin Call. He did All is Lost, and his most recent was A Most Final Year. And I like what he says about film uh, in the way that it differentiates, differentiates itself from TV and other long-form stel- storytelling is that film gives us a very immersive moment. I like that quote because I feel like he's getting at this finite nature of film and that uh you know there are a lot of examples that people kind of lament of this binge watching thing and tv and feeling like yeah. they're not rewarding the audience you know because they've got to fill those 12 hours or 12 right. episodes you don't have that luxury with film right. so in an interesting way and in an aspirational way it's a great medium to tell stories that have a conclusion mm-hmm. um and i uh and we'll also talk about how that's not necessarily the discipline these days. Right. But it's something to aspire to, right? That yeah. film is this great opportunity to tell a story with a conclusion. Yeah. I have a whole thing about that. But <laughs> yeah. Okay. But yes. All right, cool. Yeah. Maybe that'll come out. It, maybe it will. <laughs> awesome. So I wanted to jump into uh, the first uh, bit of questions from people and talk about questions under the umbrella of writing. And one thing that has been interesting is I've gotten to know you as much as I think I know you, I'm mm-hmm. always surprised how much I don't know about what you've done and continue to do. Mm-hmm. And I think I know what you <laughs> have done and continue to do. Yeah. So I want to share that as context for our audience because okay. I think they'll be surprised too. And then it will inform some of the things that we discuss. Sure. Uh, in terms of writing, uh, you have written and directed the short film Whiteface, which won the Audience Award for Best Film at Slamdance Film Festival 
and a Creative Merit Award at Seattle International Film Festival. Uh, you've written numerous screenplays, including Grave Robbers, uh, which won at Austin Film Festival in 2006 and will be out next summer as a graphic novel under the new title Old Souls. Uh, your work's also been a semifinalist in uh, the Nickel Fellowship. Uh, and then a few more writing credits. Wrote the feature Inheritance for local director Chris Christensen. You've written for television uh, and comic books and graphic novels, including Hellboy spinoff Abe Sapien, Predator, Predator vs. Aliens, Lost in Space, all for Dark Horse Comics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> predator, predator uh, Aliens, Predator story is an interesting story. How okay. I wrote that. And yeah. No one read it. Anyway, <laughs> I can get into that. Okay, but, okay. Yeah. Um, awesome. But again, a lot, of, a lot of different comics and graphic novels for Dark Horse. So you have this really, you not only teach storytelling, which we'll talk about later, mm-hmm. but you have written stories across a number of medium. And, and for me, that helps set the table of, of sort of your competency in storytelling, which I find to be super impressive. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how it informs these questions from people. Um, we got one from someone named Sway Molina. We're going to ask uh, two of his questions okay. on Twitter. Do you think it's possible to understand and know storytelling and not be a good writer or a writer at all? Um, uh, anything's possible. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's a discipline. So I, I don't. That's a tough question because I think if you understood it, you'd be good at it, right? Mm. So there's something missing in your understanding of it if you're not good at it. I think it's, there's, you know, the people who don't, there are lots of experts who don't practice storytelling, right? So they right. write books about it, right. but you can't find their stories anywhere, right? So talk about that disconnect between being the armchair expert, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe a good analogy is sports too, right? Where we just like yeah. completely deconstruct these teams as if we right. could coach or play. Right. But talk about that in terms of storytelling. You say that to comprehend story from sort of a, an armchair position doesn't necessarily make you a writer. Right. Be, how do you know you know? Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know who said it, but uh, somebody said the proof is not in the pudding. The proof is, I mean, in the pudding, yeah, the proof is not in the pudding mix. It's in the pudding. Right. (laughs) So the pudding mix is this is how a story goes, blah, 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 blah. It's like, where's your story? Well, oh, okay. You can't make pudding. Right. So, right. right? So I don't know why anybody, nobody holds anybody to that standard. But the first thing I want to know if somebody's an expert in storytelling is where can I see your stuff? Right. What have you done? Right. I don't know where that disconnect comes from, why people think. Well, that person's an expert, but they can't do it. Like, that's a weird thing I don't quite understand. That's a great point. Yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> and I don't know why he's like, yeah. I mean, I always went to people who, who were doing it, practitioners of the craft, to learn my craft. Okay. That makes a lot of sense to me. It's interesting. I've been uh, on Twitter following some directors who cite sort of the, the advantage of film criticism and what they've learned from critics. And without going too far on a tangent... Mm-hmm. wouldn't that also be an example, you know, the film critic being someone who believes that they can sort of critique something perfectly, but almost exclusively are not in the creation or writing of stories. Yeah. I don't, I mean, maybe there are some film critics out there that know something. Yeah. I don't want to knock all film critics one day. I'll have a film out there and they'll, <laughs> they'll remember this. But, but when I was a kid learning, yeah, I would read 
interviews with directors and screenwriters. I mean, I read incessantly. I read these things. Yeah. To and screenplays to the exclusion of all other things. I was reading interviews um, with writers and directors and special effects people mm-hmm. and and um, and uh, screen and screenplays. And what I I noticed was when I read critics. What they said about a film had nothing to do with what the filmmaker had in mind. And so I, I would think, oh, that's interesting. This is about them sounding smart. The yeah. director says some other thing. The writer says some other thing. And so I just listened to the writer-directors, and yeah. I felt like there was such a disconnect sometimes between what the critic thought and what the writers and directors thought that right. I went, I'm not going to listen to these people. And so I stopped doing it. And, and uh, when, when I was a kid... Um, uh, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert had their show yeah. um, at the movies. Yeah. And uh, it started off on PBS, if I remember right. Yeah. And then it moved. Into syndication. Yeah. And exploded. Yeah. Yeah. I grew but, up on Siskel and Ebert. Okay. So I used to watch them mm-hmm. when I was younger. And when I was younger, I thought they knew what they were talking about. <laughs> and as I got older, I was like, oh, they don't know the first thing about what drama is. Like, I, I know that pe- they have their fans and other people are going to have... A, yeah. but. I just saw that they didn't know what they were talking about. Now, I always watch a show because I watched anything that had anything, anything to do with movies. Right. But I found that the more I knew, the less they did. Um, but at first, I was way into it. And I think uh, early on, they probably did teach me some things. Right. But I think my own study surpassed them because they weren't studying the craft. They were only evaluating. Yeah, and they're responding. Right. You know, there's it's one thing to sort of create and have that proactive hand in the recipe to go back to your analogy. Yeah. It's another to sort of wait until it arrives on your doorstep or in the theater and be like, and at that point there seems like there would be a a self-conscious element too of like, I can't not be aware of the culture in which I live. Right. And it can say something about my own fashion and taste and style. If I don't sort of deconstruct this film through that contemporary lens. Right. So I'm beholden to sort of cultural forces as a critic that, uh, me as a filmmaker storyteller or you as a uh, filmmaker storyteller would not be right and that seems problematic yeah i don't i i just i just learned not to yeah listen to them okay um so, early on when i was a teenager i'm like i'm done listening to them I, they have nothing to teach me now maybe they do maybe there's somebody who does right but i never have found it to be true um you know um i haven't read enough pauline kale maybe she's the one who, right you know but but, um, but I historically, just stopped, sorry, go ahead. I, I just stopped listening to them. <laughs> right. And historically, it is of note. I mean, Ebert did write a screenplay that was produced. Right. Uh, and I think it was Rod Lurie or one other. But historically, uh, percentage-wise, very few of them sort yeah. of some do grow into filmmaking some do. or and those, both. those people I, I i respect those people who've made that transition or even the people who've tried i mean yeah. roger ebert tried right and some people will say it was a success of some so, some right. people do um i got i gotta give him credit for that yeah. he needed to put his money where his mouth was and i gotta give him credit for that yeah yeah so theorizing great but ultimately to be a good storyteller it has to move beyond the couch or beyond so. the ingredients and you have to be able to create yeah, there's an inter- interview with Pat Echeyevsky. I think it's the last interview he did mm. um, in 1980 or 81. Yeah. Just around the time he died. It was the last thing he did, I think. And he talks about critics, I think, in that interview. And he says, uh, 
He said, I don't understand critics. And he said, I don't understand why you would do that. And and the interviewer was like, well, I mean, I think they serve a function. You know, people yeah. want to stay, spend money. They want to. He said, I didn't say that they don't serve a function. I don't understand why you would do that. I don't understand why you would spend your life critiquing what other people do and yeah. not doing things yourself. And I sort of agree with Patichevsky there. Yeah. That's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't I don't get it. I don't understand where that comes from. Right. To and I imagine there's some people who are really good at it and it makes sense to them. And, and I maybe it makes nobody's ever explained it. Maybe there is something real there. I'm not saying right. it isn't there. Right. I personally have no concept of what that is. Yeah. And why you would. It that. almost seems frustrating if, if, if it's if you're that close in proximity to that creation in some way. Yeah. And you're there because of a passion. Then how can you be comfortable staying on the periphery and not. Yeah. You know trying to write those stories yourself, yeah, creating I, original stories yourself. And I think that uh, people do. I think a lot of people who don't do it are afraid, right? I think critics are afraid of being critiqued. I, that makes a lot of sense. I think they are. We got a question about fear coming up. I okay. How, oh my goodness, what a segue that was. Oh, wow. Well okay. done. Did we answer the question? We answered the first question great. Okay, all yeah. right, okay. We'll go to the second one. This is also from Twitter, uh, from Isabel Zila, or Zila, I hope I pronounced that right, mm-hmm. uh, about fear. Nicely uh-huh. done. To Brian, do you ever f- uh, feel fear about writing? And if so, how do you overcome that fear? Uh, ev- most people feel fear about writing. So that's uh, there's nothing unusual about that fear. Mm-hmm. Um, overcoming that fear, um, oh, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure it is something that people overcome. It's just something that people work through. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you just have to face it and go, that's fear and that's going to be here. Yeah. And move through it and just keep working. Um, That's the only thing. I don't think it goes away. It may go go away momentarily. Yeah. Right. And the fear changes. Like my greatest fear as the aspiring writer and director that I am is not writing mm -hmm. because I feel like I have stories to tell. So my fear is, is not writing. Right. And as I write, the fear changes. It like becomes some of that self-conscious thing. Mm-hmm. You know, is this going to pass through the contemporary? And then it's like, then you interrupt yourself. Hopefully, of like, no, no, no. You like serve your theme, serve your armature. Right. You know, follow your follow what you know. Yeah. Study your craft and don't. You can't anticipate landing in a bottle. Right. So don't. You, you can never play to the crowd. That doesn't. You know, because in five years, by the time your movie's done, the crowd has moved on. You have to te- be true to storytelling. Well, the other the other thing about fear. Where it comes from, mm. speaking of critics, is the critic, your critic. That's where fear comes from. Meaning your, your internal you, critic. Yeah, yeah, your internal critic, right? The, you, you can't produce work and be a critic at the same time. <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah. You can't be an editor and a writer all at once. Mm. Right? Yeah. You, you pick a job. Right now you're writing. So do <laughs> right. that job. Yeah. Later, do your editing, but you can't do both. At the same time. Right. Right. And so. Can't have your foot on the brake and the gas. At the right. Same time. Yeah. And yeah. so the, it's your inner critic that's stopping you from working. Yeah. Right. It, it's, um, it's, it's, well, it's the fear of being critiqued, I think. Yeah. Um, and um, I, like I said, whatever I feel about Roger Ebert or whatever, he put himself out there and he did it. And, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of filmmakers I don't like. I don't like what they do. But putting yourself out there is a thing all on its own. Mm-hmm. And there's some level of respect that I have for anybody who does that. 
Yeah. Uh, because the fear of doing it can be overwhelming for some people. Um, I would say my friend Stuart Stern, who wrote Rebel Without a Cause, mm-hmm. and the movie Sybil and a, some other things, he um, he really had a real fear of, of writing. and uh, That's amazing to hear. Yeah, isn't it? It's always amazing. Yeah. It's like the most nourishing thing to hear. Yeah. Because it's true of almost everybody we admire. And yeah. when they sort of admit to that, it's like there's this... I think we'll talk about the mystique of the filmmaker a little later, but there's this sort of persona that people chase. Mm-hmm. And so often it's, well, I've, I've reached a level, so I'm going to speak in a certain way. And right. when storytellers have that humility to be like, that's oh, always hard. It's always starting at square one. Yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, it is like really encouraging and nourishing because it's nice to hear that for the, you know, the greats, right. Or who've yeah. produced great work that that never goes away. No, it never went away. In fact, he won an Emmy for Sybil in the seventies. Uh, he said, uh, I've never seen the footage of it, but Kermit the Frog gave him his Emmy. <laughs> and he said, you know, Kermit gave him my Emmy, and I remember giving the speech there. Yeah. And knowing, as I gave my acceptance speech, that I was going to quit the job I was currently working on because I didn't feel like I could do it. Whoa. Yeah. Um, and he, that, he really suffered from that fear. That fear was crippling. Um, but, you know, he would write you an email, and it would be amazing. And so he, he had it in him. He was a writer in his soul. Um, yeah. um, but he, he let the fear get to him. And um, Say more about what would you say to someone like Isabel who's asking that question of, I think you've answered in part of like, yeah, you know, yes, fear. Mm-hmm. Is there, is there a, a tip or a concept that you can give in terms of, I think you and I both agree through, you know, the anecdotes outside of us in our own experience of like the fear is going to be part of the process. Right. What would you say? What's something that, what's a piece of advice that you might offer in terms of how to coexist with that fear through the story creating process? Right. Um, well, I, I remember I was writing something. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. Yeah. And I was reading an interview with James Cameron mm. and he had just done not too much before that had done Terminator two. Okay. And he was talking about how when he sat down to write, he would uh, rearrange books on his bookshelf and he would mm. do all these tasks to stop himself from writing, you know, to sort of procrastinate. Yeah. When I read that, I realized, well, that's what I do. Mm. And if he does that and he can write Aliens and Terminator 2, <laughs> yeah. that this must just be part of the process. Yeah. Right. And so once I embraced it as part of the process, this procrastination, like yeah. I'm writing, it just doesn't look like I'm writing. Yeah. Um, that helped a lot. I, I like that. Yeah. So just embrace it as part of the process because you, you can beat yourself up yeah. for not sitting in front of your computer. Yeah. Right? So it's like, oh, I'm not in front of the computer or however you write. I'm not there doing it, so I must not be doing it. Right? Totally. But, this but, gets back to your inner critic thing. Right. I'm a big fan of, I, like, I love my therapist, big believer in mm-hmm. therapy and sort mm-hmm. of self-reflection. And that w- I like what you're saying because it sounds like that concept of be kind to yourself. You know, we right. have this idea of... Yeah, I'm only on the job when I'm sitting there like hammering out and I've got the, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, pages flying out of the typewriter or something. And it's like, no, every, be kind to yourself at every step because every right. step is valuable. Right. Even when it's procrastinating, you're warming up for what's next. Yeah. So I just think of procrastination now as part of the process. That's cool. As long as you sit down and do the work eventually. Yeah. Um, but I just think it's part of the process. Um, you And once you embrace it as part of your process, it's really interesting what happens. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, so that's kind of how I deal with the fear. I know the procrastination is related to the fear. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, oh, that's what that is, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, you just got to sit down and produce the work. Right. Um, some people can't do that and that, I don't know what stops them, but some people can't do it. I mean, I think it's the critic again. Right. But, um, that critic you have to find a way to silence the critic for a little while. I don't know how you do that. Everybody must have their ways of doing it. Maybe that's why there's so many writer alcoholics. I don't know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, they're trying to silence the critic. Maybe I don't yeah. know. Push that off for a little bit. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Okay, um, but I like that. So you know, be kind to yourself more or less to Isabel's question. Mm-hmm. Every step matters, but make sure that each step is leading you to the next step. Right. You don't live there forever. Right. And there's something to be said for perseverance. Like no story is going to be finished and good unless you're willing to persevere with that fear, which will remain through all of it. Right. Yeah. And that fear is good. Right. That fear is the fear usually of failing. Right. Right. And it's the fear of failing that makes you do a good job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So. Right. It's fuel. Right. So you can just use it as fuel. Yeah. Right. Just, well, I, I'm trying to do a good job. I don't want to be, I want people to like it. I don't want it be, to be critiqued in a bad way. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, all right, well then use it and do a good job. No, that's good. I like the way you put that. It's, you know, I won't quote old presidents, but it's that it's never going to be more than fear. Right. So if you understand that, like the extent of the teeth of your fear, it's never going to be more than that. Right. There is this, there is this fear <laughs> Yeah. that will get to a point where it will just the process will just overwhelm us. Right. And it's like, no, you know, don't, don't face tomorrow's situation or predicament with today's resources. Right. You know, the, the fear may change. Right. Three steps in, but you'll be different too. Your story will be in a different place. Mm-hmm. So, um, there's something to be said for what you're saying about perseverance and just accepting each stage and then being willing to say, I'm leaving this stage. I've resorted the books. Yeah. It's time to write. Yeah, you, that's just the way it goes. And, yeah. and understand that that the best writers have gone through it. Yeah. And the best writers, most of them, struggle with this fear. Yeah. And if you know that. Yeah. When I was a kid, um, I, didn't, I didn't think, on some level, I thought, I, I could never write a book. There was some part of me that thought I could never yeah. write a book. Because think about a book when it's done. Yeah. Like who, Yeah. it's just monumental. It looks monumental. It does. <laughs> But I used to go to bookstores mm. or the library, and I would I would walk around, and uh, and I'd look around, and I I'd, I'd think, all of these people can't be smarter than me. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, all of the. I mean, there's a lot of books. Yep. They all can't be smarter than you. They all can't be better than you. No, right? I love it. Yeah, and I used to do that as a kid. I did that as a teenager. I did that, and I was like, I can do this if they can do it. Yeah, they're just people. Well, yeah, we're in a critical, like it's, I, you know, I can't speak for obviously times before myself, but like, it's just feels like such a critical moment nationally. I like, we could, we won't get into the conversations about social media, but I think we're all as individuals, just so hyper aware. Mm-hmm. I in some ways we feel exposed, you know, sometimes voluntarily the way we put ourselves out there yeah. on social media. Like it's, it's, I think it's really accelerated that natural critic right. to where, you know, it doesn't make it eat. We're not like all living in log cabins right in solitude but but here's what's interesting about that people have this idea and it's completely wrong Mm. that um you're more fearful when you don't have success right if you don't have success (laughs) right you're like well am i going to be good enough and that's that's real right 
But once something hits or you get some <laughs> success, yeah. the that fear can be crippling because how do you follow it? Can right. I do it again? Was I was I lucky? Yeah. Did I how did I and that can choke people. Um Frank right. Capra had that issue for a little while. Other people have had it where they they don't um produce often after somebody has a huge fat hit they don't produce for a while um because i, I it's the fear is getting to them yeah and uh they're afraid to follow up and with, now people are paying attention yeah now people yeah, the are fear paying has attention. gone public right? and that doesn't have anything to do with social media right that right. happened before social media totally right yeah you're out in the public there's your thing i mean think about it like when i um you know, I'm known primarily to most people as a as a teacher of mm-hmm. story structure. Yeah. Well, in June, I have a book coming out. Mm-hmm. That's a story. Mm-hmm. It's going to be out there for everybody to judge. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Can this guy do what he says he can do? <laughs> right. Right? Right. You, that's not easy. Right. Right. Yeah. So every time, regardless of the environment. Yeah. If you succeed, it's going public. Right. And you have to wrestle with that. Yeah. But... In that constructive sense, it's also really going to help you, I think, optimally fight for the best story. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's, it can be, I mean, I, I really feel that it's constructive. Yeah. I feel that it's to not have that. There are probably examples of writers out there that would come in here and tell us how I didn't think twice about this script and I just spit it out and blah. And, and in those examples, uh, the end result would likely reveal itself. You know, I think that fear is going to, the, the best stories are going to be built on the backs of fear. I think so, yeah. especially if you do it, um, if you do it um, consistently. Mm. You can once mm-hmm. spit out a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. People do it. It's been done. Usually because they are driven by something they have to say. Right. <laughs> right. And so they say it and they say it well. It yeah. matters to them. Right. Right. But doing it again. <laughs> right. can be a very difficult thing, right? So that's why you have a lot of novelists who have like the one thing they're known for, yeah, right? And mm-hmm. they can't quite top it again. Mm. And sometimes that's a great thing. Like if you write, you know, um, To Kill a Mockingbird, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You're done, call it a day. Yeah. You don't need to, but, but it's interesting that she didn't really have another book. Mm. Even her second book was really her first book. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um Hmm. And so sometimes people can spit out something that matters to them. They can they make, can make all the right choices and all the right decisions and yeah. all the right discoveries, but they can't repeat it because they don't know how they did what they did. Um, and then I think the fear of following up a monumental – I mean, I haven't had that kind of success, but that's got to be a huge right. burden. For sure. Right? Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Good answer. Good answer. Uh, have another one from uh, Marie B. on YouTube. Uh, her question for you, a lot of movies try to pass on survival information, but they tend to be preachy and pedantic. What are they doing wrong? Uh, they are, um, they're not dramatizing, usually. So what they're doing is they're preaching, mm-hmm. usually. So it's in the dialogue often. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's not proven. So if, the, if you have something to prove... Mm-hmm. Um, if you prove that, um, if you're trying to prove that revenge is ultimately empty or something Mm -hmm. like that, Mm -hmm. well, you have to 
you have to dramatize that through the characters and through the situations in such a way that the audience feels as if they're drawing their own conclusion. Don't draw the conclusion for them. Right. 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 Let them draw their own conclusion, mm. even though you're leading them to right. that conclusion. Right. Okay. Right. So, so you have to argue your case well enough that people see your point. If you don't, what happens is you just preach at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, or often the whole story, you, when you have your armature, when you have the thing you want to say, yeah. that's the seed everything grows from, mm-hmm. right? But for instance, if you have all these scenes you want to put in a story, right? This scene, I was working with a director once and he, he wanted, um, he had all these scenes and he was like, help me put these into a movie. Well, <laughs> um, it's been done, mm-hmm. and you can kind of do that yeah. if you're really good. Yeah. But mostly that's not going to work. Right. It can. It has. But mostly it's not going to. <laughs> um, even if it does work, you still have to find a through line. You have to find a justification for all <laughs> those right. scenes, right? right? So it can be difficult to do that. So... Um, mostly it's going to be disjointed. And then, so if it's this scene and this scene and this scene and this scene, then what happens is you go, oh, I need a theme, right? And then you try to shoehorn a theme in there. Mm -hmm. So people feel, it feels tacked on because it was tacked on. (laughs) Right, people are savvy. Right. So they're like, oh, it felt tacked on. Well, it was. (laughs) It was. It was an an afterthought. Yeah. Right? Right. But if it's, it's the reason to tell the story, in the first place, we do it all the time in real life when we're telling stories. Mm. We know the point of the story we're telling. Right. And, and we, we know it before we tell the story. Yeah. Okay. And then we we only include the things that help us make that point. Yeah. Right? Yep. Um, you have a great example of this, of I went to the best party. Oh, Arma- right. Armature. Right. I went to the, yeah. So, right. So, if, you, if you're doing proposal, argument, conclusion, the yeah. three acts, a proposal might be Saturday I went to the best party in my life. Right. Your argument is going to be proof, right? Yeah. Or your argument that that's the case, all the evidence, all of your evidence. Right. Right? And then you're going to circle back around. Usually, it's story circular often, and you say, man, that was the best party. Yeah. Right? Right. Um, And so, so, but you've proven it in the middle. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? That's the whole point of the middle. Right. Right. Right? To prove it. And you're saying uh, to the question, in the proving, to avoid preachy. It's that we we dramatize rather than we sort of lean on dialogue, right? Or, or even more specific than leaning on exposition. We're not going to explain our way through the story. We're going to dramatize the story, right? So we're not going to we're not going to say, um, revenge has left me feeling empty. Right. You can say it, but <laughs> sure. you better have proven it. <laughs> right. Oh, totally. You better have proven it. So Other that, than that's a moment that will feel tacked on. Right. Like why why did yeah. Yeah. So you have to prove it through the characters and the and the and the uh actions. Mm. Um if you don't do that, then yeah, it'll feel preachy and it'll feel tacked on. And often that's the case. Often um people don't know I, I may have talked about this on another show, I don't know, but mm-hmm. I have a friend who works on a lot of animated uh movies <laughs> as a storyboard guy and he said he was talking to a guy who was sort of brought in as a doctor for the story mm-hmm. kind of doing what what i do and he came in 
And, you know, they would come in and they would have all the scenes <laughs> yeah. and they would have all the characters and everything was all laid out like they knew what they wanted to do. And then they would bring this guy in and they'd say, OK, now, uh, can we help us put a theme in there? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, you can't understand what a theme is if you think that you can fit it in. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and so that's going to feel wrong. Yeah. Right? Right. You, it doesn't fit in. That's not what it's designed to do, right? You can't do that. You right. can't shoehorn it in there. You have to start with it. This is another really helpful thing that has improved my writing that you teach, is that a single word is not a theme. So in the instance of that animator, or the, sorry, the story consultant who comes in to like <laughs> hobble all these pieces together, yes. if someone were able to do it because they thought your theme is loneliness, loneliness isn't a theme. Right. Loneliness is a thing. Right. It's not like a theme. what what about loneliness? Right. It's inevitable. Loneliness can be cured. Loneliness can never be cured. It has to be as you like to say and as you teach like it has to be something that you can demonstrate and prove. Right. Prove or disprove. Yeah. Right. But it's so funny you'll hear, you know, going back to critics or a lot of people when they sort of tell you what was so great about the movie. I love the uh, yeah, I mean it just really seemed like it had a lot to say about uh whatever it is. Yeah. Love or romance or infatuation. Yeah. There was oh it's about love. Right. What about love? Right. Right? It can't be about love. <laughs> right. Right? What's it ultimately saying about love? Yeah. And how is it demonstrating that rather than sort of hammering you with sort of on-the-nose exposition? Yeah, how do you make a story about love? It's just love. Right. <laughs> love. Right? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what, what What do you do with that? Right. But if you say that- Love is. Yeah. Love <laughs> is uh, sometimes painful. Right. Right? That you can demonstrate. You can show that. Yeah. Yeah. I keep saying demonstrate. The better word you use is dramatize. So your mm-hmm. task is really to know your theme and start there, and then we're going to dramatize that right. rather than sort of but, shout that throughout the second right. act. But demonstrate and dramatize, that's probably, dramatize um, is just demonstrate, right? right? So, uh, and sometimes people don't know that, right? So mm-hmm. they think that dramatize means, you know, make people cry. Right. Make the characters right, cry. Right, drama. Not like the audience. Ratchet but make the, the emotion. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But it's really just proving it through... Through the drama, through the doing of things, right? Drama means yeah. to do. Yeah. So it means doing, right? <laughs> Showing people uh, rather than telling people. You made an example earlier about people who can sort of stumble into a masterpiece and not know how to recreate it. One of the things I value most about your teaching and that concept of dramatizing mm-hmm. is it always gives me somewhere to run back to. Right. Uh, in the writing I've been doing since I you took your class before you uh, came to work with us here, mm-hmm. uh, it's really helpful. I feel like I, not that I always have my bearings, but I have some sort of a mechanism for finding my way. Right, yeah. Of like, am I dramatizing? Right, it's a compass. Mm-hmm. And, and am I dra- dramatizing always follows where I should be starting, which is, do I have a clear theme? Right. Uh, and that little one-two punch is like, I, I think if I just took that away, from all the teaching interaction mm-hmm. you and I've had, my writing would be exponentially better. I need to start, and I'm not saying it's as simple as that, but but it's a it's 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 difficult in practice, but right? It's, but it's an easy idea to understand, yeah, and an easy you, you can improve pretty quickly, right? If you know, oh, have something to say, right, and demonstrate it, right? No, totally, yeah. It is really hard. Uh, like the simplest things are super yeah. hard, but it always kind of gives a person a sense of bearing. So yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, Paddy Chevsky used to keep his theme 
on his typewriter above his typewriter so he would never forget it yeah. when he was writing. You make a great example about like Wizard of Oz and we I think we were talking about <clears throat> what is it about that one being so universally loved? And if I remember you right, you can correct me, but you were like focus. <laughs> that movie is so consistently despite having multiple directors, right. they were all hyper focused mm-hmm. on dramatizing that film's theme. Yeah, multiple writers too. Yeah. Um yeah. I would say that that's the thing that classics it's it's funny to me. People say, Well, you don't know if a thing's a classic until, you know, yeah. time goes by. Yeah. That isn't true. <laughs> I mean it's true of some things. Yeah. Right? Um, and some things don't do well right away. Right. You know. But the truth of the matter is classics, as far as I can see, yeah, have one thing in common. And that is that they are relentlessly focused. Yeah. That they that they're always relentlessly focused, right? And um, and that's the one thing they have in common. And having sat in the movie theater and seen a bunch of classics, mm. some on the first day, their first right. screening, yeah. E.T. I was among some of the first person people to see E.T. Everybody in the theater knew what they were watching. Mm-hmm. They knew they were watching a classic. I saw Ghostbusters before anybody saw it. Right. Everybody knew they were watching a classic. Yeah. There's an, elect- an electricity, and it happens less and less, mm-hmm. so people aren't familiar with that feeling. Yeah. Like, they, when I was coming up in the 70s and 80s, you, it happened a lot. <laughs> it happened more, for sure, yeah. It happened a lot. It's crazy. And so um, you can feel it. It's, yeah. It doesn't feel the same. You're, you're, you're swept away, and everybody in the theater is feeling the same thing at the same time, and there yeah. is a... But, it, but if you watch these things and study them you will see they are so focused. They are laser focused on what they're yeah. trying to say. And they never lose sight of it. Right. So don't be afraid to print your theme out early and keep it somewhere. Because yeah. ultimately that's what your story's about. Yeah. I mean, if you read uh, Of Mice and Men is a good example. Of Mice and Men, that book never stops saying that human beings need companionship. Hmm. It never stops. Hmm. It doesn't say anything else. <laughs> You're right. And it never stops. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's so focused. I wish I could attribute the quote, but somewhere along the way I read this quote that says, and this gets to your electricity of watching a classic for the first time with an audience or that everybody knows it intrinsically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's basically like you know you're watching a great film. Watching a great film feels like you're in the hands of a screenwriter who's thought it through. It's just that thing of like, oh, you know, we talked about it with um, – Places in the heart, mm-hmm. and the way that he gets the characters of Danny Glover—sorry, the actors of Danny Glover and John Malkovich—out of that scene toward the end, with the confrontation with the KKK. Yeah, and it's just these moments for the for you as a viewer of like ah, like it's just so it's so good, right? And it's not good because it's necessarily a twist or a surprise or something, but it's like it's good because it confirms what I've seen previously. Um, right. He thought he's thinking the whole way through the writing of this story. Right. He has taken them out of that situation in a way that he intentionally, and he sort of teased that for me as the audience earlier. It's mm. just that hyper focus on like, I'm not going to show you any fat or fluff. Right. Like all, everything I'm going to show you from A to Z is going to serve the theme and, and dramatize the theme. Right. Uh, yeah, and you feel it. You do feel it. You, you, are, you are carried away in a different way. Mm. And it's not in your head either. Yeah. It doesn't happen in your head. It happens in your gut and it happens in your heart and you're sort of pulled right. into the thing in a different way. <laughs> right. Right. When, when I, it's one of the, I, there's a kind of person 
who I talk to a lot, yeah. <laughs> who is always telling me that they, and I've talked about this before on the show, but always telling me how much they love something that makes them think. And they say it with a bit of snobbery. <laughs> like, well, you know, yeah. you might like something that makes you feel things, but, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 they, and it's like, but that's, there's, there's something about that that is, that it, it transcends, did, nothing happens here that is transcendent. Mm. Right? Yeah. That all happens in here. Right. Right? When you are really moved, right. it's not intellectual. Right. Right? And so, uh, but we like this. We like, this is better, this is safer for us, right? We like this. Yeah. It's a, it's a sort of security blanket. I think, you know. And there's uh, a pecking order. Yeah. Uh, like now when, it, when we do the conversation on this, you know. Yeah. Let me establish that I'm at the top. Right. I, I've comprehended this better than everybody else. Right, right. But it's like But but when when you're watching something that is moving people, that mm-hmm. the classics all move people. Right. Yeah. Right? I'm talking about people's classics. I'm not talking about critics' classics, which sometimes are different. With the example of Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Of like this is the cliche of, you know, people of all ages, but it's true. It is it's true. like it works for any age. Yeah. Because it's felt. Right. And it's something that we can all connect to. Yeah. And, and do pe- every time. It's crazy how many times I've seen that movie and every time I'm like, I'm right in. Yeah. It gets me right away. And there's something um, deceiving about making something that makes people feel. People think it's easy to do. Right? Mm-hmm. They think it's easy to do. Well, it's cheap. Anybody can make somebody feel. Yeah. That isn't true at all. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not true at all. But right. for some reason, we we believe that. Yeah. You know? Right. Like, I mean, Spielberg at his best, when Spielberg's at his best, nobody can do what he can do. Mm-hmm. Mm. Sometimes he doesn't do it, right? Sometimes it's like, ah, oh, well, yeah, you know. But when he does it, it's very hard to beat him. And it is a, it is a shared felt experience. I really yeah. like the way you put it. It is so true. Yeah. I remember the movies in my life that I've seen where I have felt that electricity. Yeah. And nobody's sitting there with a notepad, like, quantifying what's happening. No. It's just like... Yeah, and everyone is ascending together. Yeah, from their gut or yeah. or the ex- the emotional experience of it, the connection of it. Yeah, there's something very special when that happens. Yeah, and people don't, you know, the Shawshank's a really good example of this, mm-hmm. right? Shawshank, the Shawshank Redemption moves people. Right, right, right. It doesn't. I never. You don't have to have a big discussion <laughs> about that movie about what do you think it means, and, yeah. right? It moves you. Right. It moves people. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that's what I mean, a people's classic. Like people, right. right? You know what I mean? Like people know that's good, right? Everybody knows that. I mean, there's a one or two people probably don't like it, but right. I don't know what's wrong with them. <laughs> but you know what I mean? But, yeah. it, but it moves people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why we don't think that's important or matters um, anymore. It's, it's actually kind of scary to me. Right. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. We're yeah. gonna do, we're gonna talk about more of this this um, in a bit with some questions. Okay. We'll come back to that on next week's episode of You Are a Storyteller. If you can find a way to make the acting internal, mm. it's going to appear more natural, even with the people who don't want to hurt some. It's gonna be more natural because you're making it an internal process rather than an external process. Thanks for watching. You are a storyteller. If you have any questions or there's a storytelling topic you want us to cover, leave a comment below or email us at hello at believeagency.com.